Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2. I will be in verses 12 through 14 this morning uh, in just a few moments. But before that, I have like a whole sermon's worth of announcements um, to, to share with you. Uh, the first thing I wanted to, to talk about is, is finances, and I'm supposed to kind of do this theoretically every month or so, and, and <coughs> excuse me, that ends up not happening, but because we're, we're close to the end of the year, I want to take just a, a couple brief moments to kind of paint the picture of, of how 2023 will have landed for us as a, a church family, and kind of the most succinct way to put it is that 2023 has been kind of a mixed bag financially. There's been a lot of good and uh, some some challenges in that. So a couple things to paint the picture. Obviously, there's a, a week or two left, but based on what we have so far in our projections, it's looking like we'll come pretty close to having a 15% increase in income for 2023 uh, to or compared to 2022, which is really great news. And if you look at like a, a business, a 15% growth rate is uh, great. So we're, we're deeply thankful for that. Even better than that, kind of 15% increase is that our participation, our, our gathering attendance, the amount of baptisms, the amount of people that have been in our, our practices and in homes and, and praying together and just journeying through life has grown at a rate of even higher than 15%, which is awesome. That's the goal and, and what we want to uh, see happen. And so we're deeply grateful for, for God's provision and faithfulness as we wrap up our seventh year and start in our eighth year. And that's where the not as great news comes in, even though our income is increasing by 15%, because every uh, everything else is growing so much, expenses grow uh, as well. And so with the latest numbers that I have, we're looking at probably being down at the end of 2023 by about 35,000, which is about 6%. So not horrible. At the same time, certainly not where we'd love to be. I think it'll be the, the first year, uh, even with that 15% growth rate, that we won't have uh, ended up above uh, for, for the, the financial year. The, the good news is God has already provided and he's, he's been faithful and we have the, the funds to, to walk through a year like this and we're filled with good problems. I am so blessed as a, uh, as a, a pastor. People are like, this must be hard or various things. Sometimes it is. But compared to a lot of people I know, like we have good problems to deal with. Figuring out finances on an ongoing basis because we're, we're growing a lot and people are, are coming to know Christ and, and walk through the everyday stuff of life, trusting him more and more. That, that's a problem I am thankful uh, to get to, to walk through. So I'll wrap up with a couple quick things. To those of you that have been just giving generously and faithfully for many years or from the beginning or even started this year, 
Thank you so much. I wish I was, I was telling the, uh, the first gathering, I wish I could like transfer the moments that I get thanked um, when I don't deserve any of the thanks and when I get to hear the stories of impact in people's lives to you because uh, Nate is an incredible gift. I'm thankful that I get to be a part of what we're doing. Our staff is uh, really a joy to get to work with and, and so talented and loves the Lord. But what makes this church is the community. It's us following and trusting and stumbling forward, uh, trusting Jesus together. And I hear all kinds of stories. I mean, we've had a ton of baptisms this year, a lot of kids getting baptized, which is beautiful, marriages that are are healing. One of the things that I hear consistently most often uh, about our church is this word healing. And it is so often from people that have become disenchanted with the church and kind of with that have a a sour or bad taste about Jesus as well because the church reflects who Christ is. And for whatever reason, God has been gracious enough uh, to allow our church to play a role in giving a glimpse that that God is good and bringing healing and a a level of vulnerability. Maybe it's because Nate and I are are kind of just a mess and we just let that be known. Um, And we're all that way. Um, But it's been really good. And so I want you guys to know that I get to hear those stories. But I hear them consistently. And the the impact of your your generosity, uh, it's real. And it's significant. So thank you for that. And then for those of you that maybe are a part of our our church and you're uh, considering restoration, the the family that you're following Jesus with, if you're not uh, at this point partnering with us financially, I would love for you to consider that. Uh, We believe, as we painted on this wall many years ago now, that we've seen broken stories becoming beautiful because of the name of Jesus. And this work uh, has been really, really worthwhile. And we think it's, it's worth working for and giving to. And so we'd love for you to just pray about that, to consider partnering with us as we dive into 2024 and consider new buildings and plans and services. Uh, But more than anything, what matters is we just get to follow Jesus and guide each other to trust him in in every moment. So uh, we'd love for you to consider that. Now onto the second uh, bit of business to cover, which is more of an announcement than business. I think most of you know at this point that my wife is very pregnant and expecting a baby here, or we're expecting a baby in like two, three uh, weeks, which we're really excited about. My son is the most excited because it is a a baby boy and he's finally not going to be outnumbered drastically. He was extremely thrilled when he found out he was uh, gonna have a brother. And so, kind of like Nate was mentioning with rumors earlier, it is hilarious, especially in the church world, how quickly rumors of the craziest variety can can get started. I'm not quitting and I'm not going anywhere, but I will be gone for a a little bit in January. So if you don't see me for a few weeks, uh, that's because uh, our staff and and elders have uh, given me the opportunity to kind of devote some extra time to my family in the month of January, which I'm really looking forward to. So... Now you know, and we don't need any crazy stories. Next, it is almost Christmas, which is just insane, and we have a whole lot happening. So Christmas Eve, Eve is coming up in in less than a week, Saturday. We did this last year, and it was an insane amount of fun, 
and I use the word insane kind of intentional because it was a little bit of insanity. Whitney is incredible on our staff. She does so much. She has a lot of crazy ideas, though. Like, I don't know, 17 minutes before our, our service started last year, she's like, we really need a Christmas tree in the parking lot. And I was like, would have been helpful if you thought about that maybe an hour ago or maybe a day or two ago. But... We'll try it. So Carney and I and a few guys just literally took the tree that's out in the middle of the lobby now and tipped it over and just carried it. Ornaments and all. We only broke a few and most of you didn't know. Like we made it work and it was crazy, but it was fun. We had a few food trucks. This year's going to be like that, but even more. I think we have four food trucks. We'll have fire pits and s'mores, uh, ornaments. I don't know. All kinds of things. It'll be great. Here's our vision for Christmas Eve. Uh, we have the most to celebrate of all people as Christians, and so we want to do that well. And so uh, there's a couple things to know. One of the best ways that we're going to celebrate this Christmas Eve that I'm excited about is baptisms. I can't think of a better time as we celebrate the arrival, the birth of our Savior, who is King Jesus, to celebrate baptism, a profession of who Jesus is, of who Jesus is and what that means in the lives of, uh, of individuals. So we'll be doing baptisms at all three of our uh, Christmas Eve services, 3.30, 5, and 6.30 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, if you're interested in taking that step or you've been considering uh, baptism and, and making this uh, a public profession about Jesus, we'd love, we'd be honored uh, to walk with you through that. Feel free to talk to me after the service or there's a sign up in the lobby. And then the other thing to note is that we are providing uh, the, the food. We're gonna kind of pay the bill for all of the food trucks that night. And here's why. So there's kind of a few things here. We kind of wrestled with this back and forth as a staff because it's going to be quite expensive. Um, there's a lot of people. But we didn't want people to be worried about money. If someone was coming over to your house uh, for a, a Christmas party, you're probably not charging them at the door for entrance. That would be a little weird. If so, you should maybe rethink what you're doing a little bit. Um, and we don't want people to be like, ah, we're going to we don't want to have to, to pay for this tonight. We want people to stay. We want this to be what it is, a celebration of our family on a, on a large scale uh, that's really good because we have the most to celebrate. So what's going to happen is there will be two entrances. You'll be receiving one ticket per person as you walk into the parking lot for uh, the, the food trucks, and then you can purchase more beyond that if you'd like to. And since we're talking about finances today, if you want to, you do not need to, but if you're like, hey, we'd love to help uh, with that bill, there's a, a special designation or special fund on our giving platform. If you go on the website and press give, you can give to the, the Christmas dinner um, to help our, our end of year number if you would like to do that. The next day then, for you people that are just like super, super Christmas people, we will also have a Christmas Eve service. So I think we'll be at, what is that, four services. At 10 a.m., it's gonna be different than Saturday night. It's gonna be uh, kind of small and sweet and intimate and uh, a time to really just read the scriptures and, and sing uh, together and worship one last time before the year ends. Which brings me to my last announcement. I say one last time before the year ends because we will not be gathering in this room on December 31st. We have this habit and tradition that I think has become pretty good and important for us that the Sunday after Christmas we do not gather. Uh, and the primary reason for that is, is for our staff. I've been on multiple staffs of churches and most church staffs I know do not like this time of year and it's stressful and hard on families and I 
think by doing this, we've been able to actually turn a lot of it into the blessing. We sprint pretty hard uh, in December and in the week prior, but then our staff gets that, that time off. So don't show up on the 31st or you'll be alone or with one or two other people that took a nap during announcements and you guys can talk to each other about that. All right, Whew. I did it. Now we can talk about the Bible. First John chapter 2, 12 through 14, as I was uh, studying this, what, what came to mind was actually sin, but in a, a different way. I've, I've talked about this before, but so often we think about sin in terms of sins, as in do not lie, do not steal, do not cheat. There's a list of things we shouldn't do and things we should do, or that's how we perceive it. And that's true. There's a, a microcosm there of what sin is. But the bigger picture of sin is more like a disease that has infiltrated our, our world. It fills the air uh, all around Earth, and we breathe it in, and it causes us to be selfish and prideful. And we breathe it in, and it causes disease and decay within our bodies and all kinds of hardship, not always directly correlated to our decision-making or actions. It's bigger than that. It's a disease that the world is suffering from. That, that one day, as we celebrate Christmas, Christ's arrival, we wait also for his next arrival when he'll fully eradicate the world of, of all sin. Not just our selfishness and pride and, and those types of things, this list, but also brokenness and disease. And when I, I think of Sin. I think one of the cruelest forms is actually in memory loss. That might sound weird. One of the hardest things to watch. There's plenty of movies that portray this, but uh, even more so in, in personal experiences. A loved one starts to forget the most important things, starts to forget the most important people. It is, it's, it's brutal. To, to watch and participate in. It's, it, it feels very cruel, certainly not the way it's meant to be. And the, the next thing I'm gonna say is 100% speculation with 0% biblical factualness. Like, I'm just making this up, so. But I think I can see uh, a way, a pathway, if you will, to where it seems almost as if Satan was intimately involved in the design, this decay of forgetfulness in people's minds. It's like that cruel. And the reason I say that is because we look at the context of the scriptures and there's a theme of what Satan does. Strategically, repeatedly, he tries to get people to forget specific things. There are a list of very, very important things that God wants us to always remember and never forget. That's a line we hear a lot in the scriptures and in different forms and fashions that Satan then deeply wants us to forget. And so I, I think he works for us to have this, this memory loss of, of three really critical things that John is writing in this letter uh, to, to counteract, to make sure that this church that he was writing to, and it applies to us just the same, would always remember and never forget these three things. So I'll, I'll read it now in verses 12 through 14. John says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus' name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have had a victory over the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have had victory over 
the evil one. If you notice, there's three groupings there in this passage, little children, fathers, and young men. And while at first glance it seems like it's talking about age or perhaps even gender to some degree or maybe stage of life, the the focus here is actually not that. It's a spiritual stage of life or spiritual age. Fathers refers more so to mature followers of Jesus, people that have been following Jesus for some time. Young men refers not just to, to men, but those that are kind of newly following Jesus. And then little children actually has nothing to do at all with, with age or, or being kids per se. It's actually this term of endearment. It's not derogatory like, hey kids, stop that. It's like my child in the faith. And so we'll kind of look at the thing John wanted, this group of people he's writing to, to always remember and never forget, and how Satan works to cause us to forget those things. Let me reread verse 12. Uh, designated to the little children. I am writing to you, little children, my children in the faith, because your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus' name. They are forgiven, not they might be forgiven, not they will be forgiven, they are forgiven. Not here's a, a pathway, here's a plan, here's 10 steps to receive forgiveness. Not, here's a list of things to not do so that you can find forgiveness. I write to you, my children, because you have been forgiven. It is finished. It is done because of the name of Jesus. And that is important. John did not want them to forget that they are forgiven. And Satan wants us to forget that we are forgiven. Because if we forget that we're forgiven because of Jesus' name, what will we do? We try to go find forgiveness on our own. We try to go earn forgiveness ourselves. Probably in in three different ways, I think. We try to make up for our sin, perhaps with knowledge. We try to make up for our sin, perhaps with serving. Or, or sacrifice giving, perhaps. Or the other option is we try to make up for our sin with suffering. We think there's a price to be paid, and so we need to endure that price. Or we need to do these things or not do those things so that we can receive forgiveness. Have you ever found yourself doing that? There's a subtle feeling and maybe it's growing or maybe it's just a a little voice in your head that says you need to take care of this. You need to handle that. This is your responsibility. Jesus has done enough. Figure it out. What's intriguing about that in the context of this letter is if we're seeking our own forgiveness, who are we focused on? Ourselves. Our problems, our solutions, our things, our time, our needs. And the whole kind of like theme or thesis of this letter John is writing is to love God and love others. And if we're seeking our own forgiveness because Satan has succeeded in causing us to forget that we're forgiven because of Jesus' name, not our own, we're no longer free to go love others because we're occupied seeking our own forgiveness. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus' name. That is the key here. 
If a, a check is written, the name on the, the signature line, the signature provided is very important because that signature is going to determine whether there's any money actually tied to that piece of paper. The name is critical. Oh, Siri wants to be involved in this. Oh gosh, I've got like 12 devices talking to each other. I'm really bad with technology. I don't know how it works. The, the name on the, the check matters though. I uh, got to go to the Fiesta Bowl uh, a number of years ago. My brother-in-law got uh, tickets for myself and him and then our friend uh, Robert as well, Whitney's husband. And we went to the game and it was really fun. It was Clemson versus Ohio State and I hate Ohio State so it was great rooting against them. Halftime happened and we went to... Uh, to, to go talk to Robert's relative uh, named Greg. And so I'd never met Greg, but they, they wanted to say hi because they flew in from California or something for this game. So we, we go at halftime and we're talking to Greg and it's instantly like we've been best friends forever. Everyone's talking and laughing and having a great time. And Greg's like, hey, hey, let me go buy you guys a drink. And we're like, no, we're all right, man. Thanks, though. And we're just talking and I'm like, it's time to get back to the game. I want to see Ohio State lose. And he's like, no, 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 I really want to buy you guys a drink. We're like, really? We're, we're fine. The game's about to start. He's like, I insist. And it wasn't like three times. It was like four or five times. He's like, come on, I want to buy you guys a drink. Let me. And we're like, the game's starting, but okay. Apparently the quickest way to get back to the game is to wait in this very long concession line uh, so that he can, he can buy us all a drink. So we wait. The game's starting. This guy's hilarious. He was a lot of fun to, to be around. We all order finally. And then he hands the, the cashier there the, his credit card. And she swipes it. And she kind of looks at him. And then she swipes it again. And we're all looking, kind of like smiling at each other. And then she's like, do you have another card, sir? He's like, no, that one's good. And so she swipes it again. She tries entering it manually. Finally, she hands him the card back. And she goes, I'm sorry, sir. Your card was declined. And we all lost it. Like, we barely know this guy, but we are ripping him up and down. Because he insisted, like, four, five, six times, let me buy you all a drink. And we're like, well, apparently we're buying your drink now, which is entirely fine. It was, it was awesome. I, I still barely know Greg, but I still like to make fun of him every time I see him. I've seen him a few times since. <laughs> A check with a, a name that doesn't have worth to it isn't going to get you anywhere. A credit card that doesn't have the funds in the accounts is, is worthless. If you seek to pay the price for your sin, if you want to pay that bill, that transaction is going to get declined every single time. None of us have that deep of pockets. Our forgiveness debt is paid by Jesus, and he can pay that bill. He can handle that price. Remember, though, Satan wants us to forget we're forgiven, and he doesn't give up easy. He's, as the Bible describes him, wise. He's cunning. He's good at what he does. And so uh, one of the ways that he's going to try to influence us to forget that we are forgiven because of the name of Jesus and cause us to seek forgiveness with our own names, by our own efforts, is actually to impact what we feel. And the feeling that, that Satan wants you to embrace is shame. And shame is different than guilt. Shame has to do with identity. Guilt has to do with an action taken. 
Guilt has to do with something you do. Shame has to do with who you are at your core level. It's personal. It's your, your being. Guilt is good, actually, because it leads us to repentance. Repentance means literally to return to God. Shame, on the other hand, is not good because it sends us away from God. We see this with Adam and Eve in the garden. They sin. Satan lies. They forget the truths of God. And what happens? They feel shame and they hide from God. So this is the way we can know the voice speaking in our head, often by the feelings. Is it causing you to want to run and hide from God? Or is it simply guilt that's good? That causes us to care about our choices and actions or inactions, words said or words unsaid, but to go to God to get help with those things. Guilt and shame are, are very different. But Jesus is paying the price. His name is on the check, and he's good for it. So when Satan tells you that you can't pay the bill, his lie will be, you don't have it, you're going to overdraw, you don't have that, that deep of pocket, tell us your future, Jesus can't love you, God's got too many other pretty good people that are up a notch above you to spend time on, you've gone one step too far, this time you can't be forgiven, and Satan starts to communicate to you in that way, through feelings or, or thoughts in your head, just tell him he's right. Say, yes, Satan, you are correct, I cannot. But I am forgiven because of Jesus' name. I can't pay this price, but my name's not on the check. The name of Christ is on this check. And then our forgiveness frees us to go do what this letter's about, to love, because we're not consumed trying to find our own forgiveness. On to the second group, fathers. I'll read uh, the portions of this directed to fathers. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And then in, in verse 14, I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Who you know is everything. It's a common statement, and there is incredible accuracy in that. Knowing the right people can, can get you places and can get things done. Knowing the wrong people can, can harm you pretty substantially as well. One of the, the best ways I heard this explained was in a sermon somewhere at some time. I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember who taught that day either, but I do remember his illustration. He said he got to go to this, this NFL game, and somehow he got connected with the owner of the team. And so there's thousands and thousands of cars pulling up to the arena, and they just got to go right by all of those thousands of cars waiting in line. And there's thousands and thousands of parking spots for all of those cars further and further and further and further away from the stadium. And they got to pass through all of that right up to the front of the arena with a sign that said owner. And then when they got out, they were given lanyards that, that said owner because they were connected. They knew him and they got to go on the field and to the locker room and meet people. And they went up to a suite where they got as much food as they wanted. And the day was pretty incredible, he said, because of who they knew. It's the same knowing the right doctor might save your life. Knowing the right attorney or, or lawyer might make a really big difference. Who, who you know uh, is substantial. It matters. 
I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. That line, the one who is from the beginning, has already been built into this letter. Here's what it means again. It means the almighty one, the creator, the the ultimate master architect and designer, the, the designer of biology and how the world works, of physics, of sociology, of relationships, of everything the sustainer, the maker of all good, the best gift giver, the most loving, the capable one, the all-powerful one, the one that knows everything about you, the one that never loses, the one that's never broken a promise and never will. This is who mature followers of Jesus know, the one who is from the beginning. There's, There's no better name to drop than the name of Jesus. There's no other name that can get you places like the name of Jesus can. There's no other name that can get things done like the name of Jesus can. But Satan wants us to forget who we know as well. And maybe the way that Satan works to get us to be forgetful about knowing the one who is from the beginning is actually to get us to replace to forget how important it is, that there's no one better to know than Jesus. And so we we choose a whole lot of second-rate people instead. There's a pretty long list probably for you and I of people we would prioritize knowing, be proud of knowing more than Jesus. There's this incredible couple in our church, Dave and and Beth, uh, and they uh, are such a gift to our church family and our our staff specifically. So they they do this thing called the hub for our staff kids that are here for more than one service because a lot of them are here uh, most of the day on Sundays. And a long time ago, we decided we don't want our kids to hate church. So we want to take some steps uh, to kind of give them something special so they're not just in a classroom all day long. So Dave and Beth are amazing. They volunteer time and money and effort every single week uh, to just spend time with and love on our, our kids that are kind of younger staff kids. And we, we took them out to lunch last week just to say thank you for everything they've done for our kids this year. And we're at lunch, and they told me this horrific story about my son, Ellis. <laughs> this kid, he's amazing, and he's going to give me a lot of material. So they're like, yeah, well, one day we were going to go to the park during, during church. And so Beth was in the front of the line with all the kids. And Ellis, my, my son, or not Ellis, Dave, was in the back of the line. And Ellis looks at, I think, Beth, I don't know, this kid. And he goes, you better not lose any of us or my dad's going to fire you. <laughs> and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I don't even know how he knows what it means to be fired or to fire someone. That's not anything we've ever talked about. I need to have a conversation with him. I haven't yet. But that's like a real second-rate person to know. He's like, I know my dad. That's going to get me places. I'm like, buddy, you are very confused about how the world works. But we're real quick, like I said, to choose some, some second-rate people to, uh, to name drop to rely on, like do we recognize, do we appreciate, or do we take for granted that we know the one who is from the beginning? So John said, fathers, those that are mature, you know this. You know who you know, and there's no more important name than the name of Jesus. 
We'll move on now to our, our third group. I have written to you young men, again, just meaning young followers of, of Jesus in general, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have had victory over the evil one. I think it's really interesting here that John didn't write this to the mature followers of Jesus. In my mind, they have more experience and expertise. They've been at this longer. It's probably much more likely that the older ones that have been following Jesus for a longer period of time have overcome the evil one. They have strength. They have experience and wisdom. But John doesn't write that to them because they didn't need to know that. They probably already knew it. The ones that needed to know that they had overcome the evil one were the ones that were probably smack dab in the middle of the biggest part of the fight with the evil one, and that was the younger followers of Christ at this point. And where did their strength come from to overcome the evil one? Like the forgiveness, not at their own name, but because of the word of God, because God was alive within them. Here's kind of how we can look at it. It says, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have had victory over the evil one. We'll put this up on the screen, but this is kind of how we can think about it. You are strong because the word, the word of God is alive within you. It remains. It's active and living and moving and influencing. And as a result of that, you have victory over the evil one. The connections here really matter. You are strong, not because you are strong, but because the word of God is alive within you. And as a result of that, you have and will overcome the evil one. God's word remains, is is what John says here. It's like a seed planted in the ground. It remains there for a time. But it is active and living. It's it's working and growing and, and producing, sometimes unseen, but eventually it will sprout up. And there's there's growth. His word is alive. The scriptures say it, it cuts, it moves, it's active. These are not just combination of, of letters in the alphabet. With his word, mountains take shape. With his word, storms are stilled. With his word, healing actually happens today. With his word, husbands learn to lovingly, sacrificially, humbly, but with strength, love their families. Neighbors experience sacrificial love that's moving. With his word, anything can happen. God's, God's word has a, a couple meanings here too we need to understand. Yes, the scriptures that we're reading right now, that is God's word, but that's like a part of God's word. Like my foot is my body, it's a part of my body, not the whole. The scriptures are a part of God's word. Uh, John describes this in John one really well. The word is God himself, we read this. And the beginning was the word, meaning Jesus, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You notice that theme again for John. You've come to know the one who was from the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome him. The word is Jesus himself, and because of his death, 
because of his resurrection and by the power of the Spirit, God himself is alive within us as we choose to follow him. And this union with Christ is what changes everything. It is by his strength that the evil one, Satan, is defeated. Mere man will never defeat Satan. Mere man, you and I, will be defeated by Satan every single time. No man has ever overcome Satan. Mere Satan will be defeated by Jesus every single time, though. And so all we have to do is rely on him and his strength. Know where your strength comes from. Always remember and never forget. I love this idea. From the book of Exodus to the, the last book of the scriptures, always remember and never forget. And there's certain things that are critical. You are forgiven because of the name of Jesus. You know the name that is above all names, the one who is from the beginning, and there's no better name, there's no more powerful name, there's no more caring name than the name of Jesus to know. And you have overcome the evil one, even if you're in the midst of the battle, not by your own strength, but because the word is alive within you. Remember who you are in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your forgiveness, that we get to know you and call upon you and you answer us and you hear us. We thank you that though we have to battle with Satan, with spirits and dominions and principalities, that the battle is won by your strength, not our own. Help us to not obsess with ourselves, but to release and submission to embrace your goodness and your strength and your love. We look to you now. We look to you always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.